Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we dive into the deep, dark waters of experiencing trauma. We break down the many ways trauma can affect not only our own lives, but the lives of those around us and our most important relationships. We share methods and resources for working through different kinds of trauma. And we share some modern techniques and treatments, some of which might surprise you. All coming up right, right now. Hi. I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how, how to, to love, love forever. forever. Hi, love bunnies. Welcome to How to Love Forever, the podcast that explores all aspects of relationships, romance, and sexuality. My name is Heather. And I'm Marco. You know, as you might expect... Today's episode might be a little more painful than our average one. We are talking about when terrible things occur and the traumatic responses we may have. So if you are ready to go down this road with us, we suggest taking a few deep breaths and we promise to be as gentle as possible in our discussion. And if you do become triggered for any reason, that's okay. Feel free to pause, take some time, and come on back when you're ready to do so. But just remember that a trigger is often your mind's way of telling you to pay attention because it might relate to you in unacknowledged ways. Absolutely. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> ready? Okay. Then let's get into it. What is trauma? Hmm. Okay, so first comes tragedy. Right out of the blue, walloping our hearts, minds, and bodies, sending our lives reeling with typically no warning. It could be a terrible car accident or something that hits us square in the emotions, like being subjected to or even just witnessing cruelties. When we are victims of tragedy, trauma ensues. To be more specific, trauma can be defined as a response that results from exposure to an incident or a series of events that are so emotionally disturbing or perceived to be so life-threatening that has lasting effects on one's mental, physical, social, emotional, and or spiritual balance. In other words, something happens that threatens the very fabric of our lives and then we get to deal with a very understandable emotional fallout, potentially for the rest of our years. Oof. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know this is heavy stuff. But considering that over two-thirds of our population has experienced a traumatic event at one point in their lives, and over eight million people in the U.S. alone suffer from PTSD, we kind of felt the need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And not just talk about what it is and how it can affect us, but also to share some techniques and strategies for dealing with trauma that have been scientifically researched and proven to be effective. We also would like to remind our listeners that we aren't therapists. Nope. We're just a couple of dopes who run a podcast. <laughs> we are not licensed health professionals in any sense. We are just two people who have also survived traumas. We've had some pretty intense life experiences, and we are fortunate enough to be alive and well enough to speak about it. We speak of it from personal experience, not from clinical expertise, okay? Mm -hmm. And we urge you not to take anything we say in this podcast as legal or medical advice, but rather as our personal observations shared from our heart. And we feel that sharing is the first step for healing. Yes. But if you or a loved one are suffering from the effects of trauma, we strongly, strongly encourage you to seek out real qualified help from a professional or professionals who are going to understand your needs and provide you with the tools and guidance to work on healing all of your unseen wounds. And if this episode gives you a better idea of what it is you're going through and why, and that there is hope for healing with a whole array of techniques, then we will consider ourselves fortunate to have been able to help someone. To that end, we've included a wealth of resources in the notes of this episode, from books and videos to celebrated practitioners. We urge you to check out the links and begin to map your own path to healing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, there are many kinds of trauma that can occur. 
ranging from some kind of accident to natural catastrophes to being subjected to interpersonal violence. <sighs> it can be a one-time event like an accident or a prolonged event like a war or a series of events like being subjected to long-term abuse. Trauma that affects a community or a country is called collective trauma. And being close to someone who has been traumatized can cause its own trauma, which is called secondary trauma. And it's all very real, and as you have probably seen in your own lives, it can have incredibly long-lasting consequences, sometimes even generational. In fact, sorry to say so, but so much of our human history can be defined as a litany of inherited generational traumas. However, since there are so very many permutations of trauma, and this is a podcast focused primarily on relationship health, we're going to narrow down our focus to what happens when traumatic experiences threaten our romantic relationships and what we can do to strengthen our connections and heal from the pain we've experienced. I think that's probably a pretty smooth move. Otherwise, we'd be here forever. Oh, man. We could get 10 PhDs on trauma and not be done with the subject. 100%. So let's talk about relationships because that's what we're about right here. We do love love, guys. We love love. <laughs> we love the love. So in relationships, there are two main categories of trauma that will most commonly affect us. There's mm -hmm. life trauma and then there's like unhealed prior relationship trauma. Right. And life trauma, it refers to those out-of-the-blue occurrences, whereas unhealed relationship trauma, that refers to when we have not yet fully processed and moved on from trauma occurring within a relationship, usually a previous one. So what are the ways that we can be affected by these different kinds of trauma? Well, one way it can affect us is that it can physically drain you from just the constant stress responses. Mm -hmm. So there's this response, this automatic, perfectly natural bodily response that is called fight, flight, or freeze. Right. It's just automatic. You're not even thinking about it. Right. A danger happens. It's one of those three things you're going to do, fight or flee or freeze. This is a short-term state meant to get you out of a trouble, but in prolonged traumatic relationships, that's an automatic state now. So that can become a toxic thing, and toxic relationships are defined by being stressful for your mind and your body alike. Oh, yeah. I can attest to that personally. Yeah, and so, you know, that stress is constant because you wake up in the morning just dreading dealing with that person, for example, mm -hmm. or you wake up in the morning still with the trauma of whatever happened in your life prior, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that constant stress, it can cause like real physical symptoms like inflammation. It can cause chronic pain. It can cause arthritis, a weakened immune system. It can even cause heart attacks. Mm. Well, and that's that whole thing. Stress kills, right? Yeah. That's what it kind of stems from. It totally does. And it, it's absolutely true. There's also dissociation when you're disconnected from the world or your life. You've got this kind of head in the clouds vibe. You're kind of dizzy. You're, you're not really there. There's a, a definite wall between you and the rest of reality, mm, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of like you're watching your life like it's a movie, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. I've gone through that. Yeah, and, it, and it's a coping mechanism for sure. Uh, you can have disrupted perception memory processing and emotions. Uh, and it's like the traumatic event is still happening when you've got symptoms of dissociation. Yeah. Another way in which it can affect us is that you're mentally exhausted, like down to a chemical level. It's right. like your brain juices are squeezed out, you know, like say, for example, again, with the fight or flight stuff, adrenaline and cortisol, those are supposed to be short term. Right. And yet they can stick around in your body because you're constantly putting them back in without them clearing out first. And so you get this chemical overload. And because of this chemical overload of things like adrenaline and cortisol, you cannot concentrate. Mm. You can't remember. You know, your memory begins to fail. You can't actually sort out your feelings because if you're in this fight or flight response, it's not about your feelings. It's about your meat survival. So right. you're brain is tuned out to your feelings. And if you're in that state all the time, you're not even in touch with your feelings. Right. Because 
being in touch with our feelings is, you know, more of a luxury when you're fighting for your survival. Yeah, right? on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a little bit higher up. And because your brain really wants to be in that state of understanding its emotions, uh, the being out of touch with your feelings can be a cause of frustration. In fact, the cortisol, mm. the adrenaline, all of it can be a cause of frustration. And that can be a constant irritant to your psyche. That sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. I also know that trauma can lead to trust problems. Yeah. Right. Again, so it all stems down to if you feel unsafe, if you constantly feel as though your body is needing to be in a survival state, you're going to have difficulty trusting others, even the ones who know you and love you the most. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So then you throw up walls, you have kind of a non-belief in things that you used to believe in strongly, you might get some paranoia, uh, you could be doubting others' motives. Yeah, and these trust issues, you know, there's something I can personally attest to, tell you the truth. Back in 2016, for example, Mm -hmm. I was attacked viciously and senselessly. And uh, I'm still suffering from that trauma. But uh, during that time, I had to go through several surgeries and I dealt with a lot of pain for about a year and a half. I'm still in pain from it now, but uh, that was just agonizing pain. And coupled with the political changes and social changes which were going on in the United States at that time, I can definitely tell you I had trust problems. I did not trust anyone and I felt that I was at the edge of this constant persecution. And I don't think it was that paranoid, but it was definitely very forefront in my awareness. And uh, doubting people's motives and not knowing who to believe, that was definitely a huge part of it. And some of it was definitely the trauma, and some of it was definitely the environment going on around me. It was, uh, it was an unfortunate confluence of events. It was pretty fucking terrible. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah, it was awful. I still don't like it. No, for sure. It was rough. It It was rough for all of us. But it did cure me of the other kind of thing that I did from uh, previous traumas, which was be a risk junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because that's another thing that uh, traumas can make you do is become a risk addiction person. And uh, heck, half of my performing arts career was being a risk junkie. So I was taking chances in order to avoid some previous bad feels. And, you know, the thing about being risk addicted as opposed to risk averse, is that uh, emotionally speaking, you have been so stunted by trauma. Um, This is sometimes, not always, not every risk junkie does this, but this is one of the reasons you can be a risk junkie is because you have been so desensitized to your feelings because of the trauma that you are looking for a rush that you can finally feel. Mm, Yeah. Right? So you you can sometimes get into some self-destructive rushes oh yeah like sex addiction drug addiction things like that uh yeah i've i've certainly been there in the past yeah and you know some people get into extreme sports and some people get into you know whatever you know some people get into the rush of like doing very criminal very horrible things so it can be bad it can be really bad oh it can be bad i mean any anytime when you take things to the extreme it can be very debilitating and and life-threatening but again, if that's what we're, we've kind of trained ourselves to get our joy from or get our feels from, we're going to keep pushing the envelope. Well, yeah. And it's like you're trying to pop through a membrane, a mm-hmm. thick membrane between you and your feelings of joy. Mm, yeah. You know, you can't get your feeling of joy from just like walking down the street and smelling the flowers. You've got to be doing something so much more intense. And because that's like any way you can get to clear your mind of like the nagging problems that you can't address. So you're doing the things that are like so intense and so in the moment and so like 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 life threatening and stuff like that in order to feel, but it's also in order to push away the thoughts. Oh, it's it's completely an avoidance technique. Yeah. You know, it's it's not going through the work. It's not about facing the traumas. It's about running away from them, but still trying to get the feels. Yeah, and I'm not saying everybody, okay? Because we have not. like a hundred circus friends. And I can definitely 
describe some of my friends as, <laughs> you know, their their thrill addiction definitely comes from trauma. But then for some other people, they just want to prove themselves to themselves. So there's a difference. But yeah, it can happen. It absolutely can happen. And another symptom of trauma can be a constant feeling of shame and or guilt. Oh, yes. Whereas with guilt, you feel bad about something that you did. But shame is when you feel bad about who or what you are. Ah, that's mm. a very important distinction. It sure is. So then you've got a lot of self-blame about things not working out better. You might be living in regret and having a bunch of if-only thoughts. Oh my God, I've had so many of those. Oh, it yeah. is in if like only this I ever did this, or if only I hadn't done that. Whirlwind of oh, I wish I could fix it if I could go back, but you can't. It it's, happened. <laughs> It's like trying to live in several different universes at once. It's like all of these alternative timelines of like, you know, if only I had done this, I had done that. What would it be like now mm-hmm. and instead of just accepting it and moving on? Right. You got to you got to accept the reality of it and uh, to do so with compassion for yourself. And of course, if you have an overload of guilt and shame, it can only worsen both the physical and the psychological effects of the trauma. Mm, yeah. Wow. Uh, Another thing that can happen because you're in trauma is you get all these physical reactions to emotional triggers. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that I totally know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, yeah, because basically these physical reactions to your emotional triggers are like a built in nostalgia for your trauma. Say, for example, somebody, your father used to beat you. And he always wore this cologne. And Uh. so for the rest of your life, you smell something like that cologne and you go shaking, you start convulsing, you get in a bad mood. Actually, my ex wore this one particular cologne and anytime I catch a whiff of it, uh, and it's not so bad now, but it definitely sent me into the whole fight or flight or flee. Um, Sorry, that is, it's fight or flee, right? Fight, 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 flight or flee. No, fight, flight, or freeze. Freeze. (laughs) (laughs) Through through cheese trees. (laughs) But yeah, so my emotional response tends to be freeze and then flee. Mm. Like, I just want to flee. I want to run away. Yeah. I kind of go fight. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of do. I I think I'm a bit of a warrior at heart in that sense. But I I just want to... My first sense is anger and i want to fight you get your hackles and Mm -hmm. obviously i don't because i'm also a civilized human being but uh that is definitely my first one and it's weird because i have a perfume emotional memory Ah, as well Mm -hmm. yeah scent so the sense of smell is the one that's most related to your emotions is been said memory emotions right Right. Mm -hmm. so there's this cheap 80s perfume called giorgio right Mm -hmm. and um i am absolutely certain that this is because my first crush and my first heartbreak, you know, young lady in high school who, who like turned around and just totally screwed with my brain, mm. um, she wore it all the time. So it's really funny because years later, I discovered myself like having emotional reactions every time I smelled a perfume, like going down an escalator if some lady in front of me was wafting this particular scent. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'd feel like my neck getting hot and I'd like, <laughs> like my lips would like, and my jaw would like, and then my eyebrows would like, and, and inside in my brain, there was almost like this Tourette syndrome like reaction of like curse words and everything just coming out. And I was just yeah. like, fucking, and then I just realized over time that it was every time I smelled this one perfume. Because it was connected to those like traumatic memories. I am guessing. Yeah. yeah I am guessing. So oh, Our brains are fascinating. Our brains are really weird. But with that trauma nostalgia, that those outsized reactions to like the smaller stimulus, mm-hmm. it's because your amygdala is producing this neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, mm-hmm. right? And that acetylcholine gets locked in to that particular smell. So it's like a turnkey chemical response inside your system. Wow. One chemical will trigger the other chemical, period. Wow. That simple, that mechanic. Well, and when you think about it too, because I know a lot of us can feel those feelings of guilt or shame by having those responses to seemingly irrational triggers, right? 
But if if you understand it and you're able to break it down, like this is like neurological chemistry. This is how our brains are wired. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're going to have these responses. So it's okay. And how can I kind of reprogram the way I respond to these things? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all of those outsized physical reactions to emotional triggers, I mean, all of that shortness of breath, the sweating, the anxiety, the sickness when you smell something or the shaking and when a topic of conversation comes up, all mm-hmm. of that is like crazy chemical stuff that's been locked in there because of some traumatic thing that's happened to you. Yeah. There's other things that can be a symptom, you know, like overeating, for example, or just constant overproduction of adrenaline, anxiety. You know, these can all be further risk factors and they can make matters worse. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to it. There are a lot of facets to the results that we're going to feel after we experience trauma. So everyone's going to experience it in a different way. And there, you may have traumatic events that have happened at multiple times in your life. And you might respond differently to different triggers at different times in your life as well. So again, it's just understanding what it is that we're feeling and why. So then we can move forward. Yeah. But speaking of moving forward, and let's talk about relationships, because that's really what we're about in this podcast. That's what we're here for. So how does trauma affect those around us? Oh, gosh, in so many ways. Well, first off, uh, trauma can be generational, Mm. right? It can be generational. So it means that the effects of trauma can be passed on from parents and grandparents, etc., through dysfunctional interactions and by training children to view life through a lens that the world around them is not safe and may never be safe. Youch. That sucks. Yeah, no, and again, I say half of human history can be defined probably by that one sentence right there. Oh, 100%. You know, then you get like also like potential substance abuse and other abuses in your family that can cause havoc. Not just your family, also like at work or with just your regular friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And speaking from personal experience, partners can experience secondary trauma. Sorry. (laughs) It's not your fault. Um, But it's also known as vicarious trauma. And what it is, it's when somebody that you love experiences trauma that you witness or you witness the effects of or even just hearing the story. Like a lot of uh, therapists can have vicarious trauma because they hear these traumatic stories from their patients and clients and it affects us on an emotional level it's like suffering with them because they're suffering suffering, with them yeah Yeah, because you know we're empathetic creatures Mm. Uh, so those who suffer from secondary or vicarious trauma they can experience many of the same effects as the person who was injured the fear the exhaustion a sense of helplessness uh, hopelessness anger out of the blue Mm. anxiety uh risk-taking, etc. All of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's rough. It can be catching. It can be infectious. Well, it can also generate its own PTSD. I mean, you know, trauma obviously creates post-traumatic stress disorder, but Mm -hmm. it can actually get that on somebody else. Because of the fact that they experience trauma, that secondary trauma, they're experiencing that anguish along with the person who's primarily feeling it oh yeah and so it can also fill that other person you know the partner or the family member or whatever or the therapist or the therapist yeah they can have their own form of ptsd ptsd yeah and you get your own triggers (laughs) triggers for everyone yay (laughs) you get a trigger you get a trigger everybody gets a trigger Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's it's sticky and it's tricky. Uh, and if we if we don't treat our PTSD, if we don't address our trauma, the effects are going to get worse over time. Mm, yeah, we can't can ignore be. it. It's true. That stuff can just explode. So how can we process and manage it? Well, there are two schools of thought about trauma. One is that it can be cured or removed. And two is that it cannot be cured, only treated and the mind slash body rewired to circumvent it. That makes sense. And quite honestly, I'm probably of the second camp in that because trauma is trauma because it's a massive imprint. And so, yeah, you can probably just rewire yourself around it. Yeah, I I think I agree with the second one as well. And and if you think of it like you have surgery, for example, uh, or say damage happens and a surgeon has to slice you open and stitch you back together. Well, if 
If the wound just healed, you would have a lot more scar tissue around it than if you had a surgeon come in with a nice sharp scalpel and did the nice fine stitches and helped close it in a really clean and even way. Yeah, so there will use... be less scar tissue, especially if you do the therapies after the surgery to work through and break down as much of the scar tissue as possible. The scar will always be there. It is part of who you are now, mm -hmm. but you can minimize it and it doesn't have to like rule your life or make you ugly. Right. You can work around the fact that this happened. Mm -hmm. You can't make it unhappen. Right. We can't go back in time. We have no magic wands. We got to just deal with it. So the key to dealing with trauma then is to find things that allow the sense of self-loathing, the sense of deceptiveness, the sense of agony, all of that stuff to be controlled. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways that you can like really begin to sort of check your triggers is by noticing the incongruence between the stimulus, you know, the situation you're in at that moment and the response, which would be like your whack-ass flip out, mm -hmm. you know, like me with that perfume that's some the, innocent the person on the yellow escalator. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And uh, to always remember, you know, that healing doesn't work in a straight line. No, it doesn't. You got to be kind to yourself. When you are healing, you got to know that you are worth it. You have to be compassionate and you have to be patient. It's not a straightforward process. There may be some wiggles and curves to it. As, but as long as you continue to work through it, you know, you should get there eventually, right? So long as you're walking forward, you're getting somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... During our research for this particular episode, um, I came across the work of Dr. Bessel van der Kolk and, of course, a lot of uh, oh, yeah. notes in the notes for this episode. There's going to be a lot of links and stuff, okay? You know, he was talking about, like, all of these therapies and all of these alternative things that you could do because he's kind of tired of the whole chemical age response to your neurology. You know, if you got trauma, it used to be like, oh, take some Zoloft and right. you're done, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he wanted to see if there were things that were actually more compatible with human reality more than effective. just filling you with medicines just to, like, pay off for some doctor's yacht. Right. So he was talking about like all of these alternative therapies that could be tried. And they're alternative right now because, well, they're just not as represented in the practice as, say, for example, prescribing somebody a shit ton of drugs. So um, <laughs> right. he was talking about this new one, for example, which is called EMDR. And you and I have talked about this before yes. because you, you're the one that actually uh, showed up one day and said, hey, check this out. EMDR it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Yes. So I was actually told about this by a friend. When she described it, I'm like, that sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely had the response too. I was just like, oh, more new age mumbo jumbo. Thanks, Heather. But, but let me break it down a little bit. <clears throat> and again, I'm not a professional. But essentially what it does is the, the therapist will sit with you and, you know, talking through the traumatic events that happened. Mm -hmm. while, that, while you're talking through it, the therapist has their finger like waving back and forth, almost like a a metronome so your eyes follow it across the space and when your eyes are tracking side to side apparently what happens is it it triggers a part of the brain that thinks that you are moving forward because as we are moving forward in space our eyes track side to side so we're less triggered emotionally we're able to tap into those memories and work through them without having the emotional response because we're already quote unquote moving forward in space it's crazy how our neurocircuitry itself is wired for allegory. It's so fascinating. And it's something that I realized, Marco and I, we, we take long road trips together. And it's always something about taking a, a long road trip with somebody where you can it's get- It's so in, soothing. It's so soothing. But you can get into these conversations, these like deep conversations or possibly sticky conversations that you typically wouldn't if you're just sitting around. But since you're moving forward in space, it's just easier. You get to have these deeper conversations without feeling, I don't know, threatened. So I'm wondering if like I've always ever since I've heard about EMDR, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's why it's easier to have. Like the visual spectacle of the road moving 
past you, under you, and behind you. And it's while you're talking this stuff out, like sort of act together. Like I said, the brain might be wired for allegory. Yeah. And so it's like, it's behind us now, you know? Right. We're we're already moving forward in space. So we're already, maybe is it, we're already in the flight? Progressing. You know, we're already in flight. So it's okay. Things are Things are in the past now. Yeah, yeah. And so this guy, uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, uh, who is a leader in these kind of thoughts, you know, he himself thought that it seemed like BS. Mm -hmm. But then after more rigorous study, the results really spoke for themselves because it really does change your brain circuitry like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I can't remember the psychologist who actually stumbled on it, but she was taking patients for walks around uh, the campus, you know, and and it was easier for them to get through these traumatic memory, you know, sharings while they were walking around. So then she started kind of experimenting with in the office, like just waving the finger back and forth, I guess. Pretty fascinating. I wave my finger back and forth therapeutically, too, but it's not the same finger, I'm sure. (laughs) You're just finger wagging. (laughs) I'm just going like, fuck all (laughs) y'all. You know, (laughs) but anyway, there's so many things that you can try. So another thing that I am a huge proponent of is things like yoga. And it made me really excited that Dr. Vessel van der Kolk has shown it to be proven more effective for treating PTSD than any of the studied drugs because it deepens your mind-body connection, so it raises awareness of the body, and then it gives us a greater relationship with our internal sensory system. In other words, it allows us to minimize the focus on our round-and-round thought process while feeling more connected to what our bodies are actually feeling. So then if our body feels safe in the moment, that can help train our brains to be less on guard, if that makes sense. That totally makes all the sense in the world. It really does. And I find it amazing that yoga has been proven more effective for PTSD than any of the drugs that Dr. Van der Kolk studied yeah. in his in the earlier part of his career, like Prozac, Zoloft, all of these things. I mean, yoga, it's been around for thousands of years. For a reason. For a reason. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting. So not only is it good for, you know, just the body, health, cardio, etc., but it's good for the brain and your emotional health as well. Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. And this is whether you believe in like Vedic spirituality or not, because yoga isn't necessarily a spiritual path. It is a physical practice. Mm-hmm. It is a mental practice. And if you want to put any kind of spiritual symbology on it, then sure. it is a spiritual practice. Yeah, You know, just like if you put a cross on top of a hamburger, it becomes a religious hamburger. But, you know, yoga itself is just yoga. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, (laughs) another thing that you could try as a therapeutic element in your life to help dispel trauma. A tool in the tool belt, as it were. A tool in the tool belt, so to speak, is theater and movement. Mm, So I am from an acting background and uh, I love theater. And I love the acting process. And I have always found it in my personal life to be quite therapeutic. And I'm talking about real acting. I'm not talking about like getting on stage and like jumping around. I'm talking about like the actual process of doing theater, embodying a role, studying to become someone else for two hours. To me, that has been like so helpful in my relationship to myself Hmm. because that is stepping outside of yourself and adopting a different persona with a completely different point of view. Mm. So that allows you not only a greater compassion for people, but it also allows you a greater compassion for yourself when you come back to yourself. Um, So there's actually some traditions within theater that are specifically therapeutic. You know, there's things like playback theater, which I was a little like side involved with, like minimally, but it was like a really wonderful experience to do playback theater when I lived in Seattle. Hey, playback theater crew, uh, if you're still around 30 years later, playback theater is a movement within the theater world that uses this premise of like being able to get rid of trauma and everything. And what happens is, say, for example, you have like a therapy circle, a therapy group, you know, like a. 12 steppers, things like that, Okay. right? And so a therapy group where everyone just talks to each other in a circle, right? They might invite the the playback theater troupe to come in. Then they would listen to somebody's story. And then everyone from the troupe adopts a character in this story 
and retells it as a fictional play huh. in the center of the circle. And the effect that I saw was really beautiful in how like some people would just have like these breakthroughs with their grief and stuff like that to see it externalized, to see it happen to somebody else in a way that it didn't actually happen, but kind of like a fictionalized impromptu assembled version of it that was really just very cathartic to them. We'll come back to that word catharsis. Oh, that's amazing. That's fascinating. It is. It can be. And theater, is, there are so many. I mean, like Meisner technique. There's all these ways that you can get like into the body-mind connection in theater, the bodies and your feelings and how they're stored in your feelings. That is very much about the therapy. Anyway, catharsis. Let me just say about Aristotle and how he argued that tragedy cleansed the heart through pity and terror. And I'm talking about tragedy as the Greek theatrical tradition. There's comedy and tragedy. Right. right? Okay. So he said that tragedy cleansed the heart through pity and terror, and it purges us of our petty concerns and our worries by making us aware that there can be nobility in our suffering. Hmm. That understanding that there can be nobility and greatness in our suffering, that's what he calls catharsis. And that was the goal of Greek tragedy, is to have people experience catharsis. It was, huh. a, it was a holy state, a sacred state to them. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. But, you know, getting back down to earth in the 21st century, you've had some interesting experiences with a little bit of catharsis going on in the theater world. Yeah. So I was talking to Marco about this earlier. Back in, what, 2017, I think, we did the idiot workshop. Before the plague years. Before the plague, yeah, when we got to roll around on people. We did the idiot workshop by John Gilkey, who is an amazing performer. He's famous throughout in, circus world. And yes, in the circus clown world, he is yeah. a god amongst men. He's just, oh, man. Yeah followed his feet. But so we did that workshop and he pushed us to dig deep for expressions of ourselves that we typically weren't comfortable portraying, right? So mm -hmm. I had this breakthrough when he kept pushing me and eventually I burst out that I didn't want to be cute anymore, right? It was just <laughs> so dumb. I just felt so stupid, but it was true and I didn't know where it came from. But after letting it sit like for a few days and a few weeks, I, I realized that I had been filling a de facto cute role all my life. Like I was the cute one. I was cute. I was innocent. Mm. Um, but it largely due to how it helped keep me safe. Right. I was non-threatening. Huh. Yeah. But uh, as I've become, you know, stronger and more confident and I've gone through more experiences and developed myself further, I don't need to keep that as my primary identity. In fact, uh, it's a bit limiting. And if I kind of realize that it's something that is part of me, but I get the opportunity to express and develop other aspects and facets of myself. And that was through theater. It was it was very therapeutic. It was a, an intense three days. You're still cute. Well, I, I never said I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that there's more to me than that. I, I totally understand that there's so much more to you than that. And in fact, you said that, you know, you being cute made you be safe. And I was just like, no, you're dangerously cute. <laughs> I said I was safe, not others around me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Nobody was safe from your cuteness. Uh, <laughs> uh, nobody <sweet>. is. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so other things that you could try, um, yeah, there's like neural feedback, right? So, you know, you put on the funky LED goggles and the funky, you know, like RO headphones and you get like into this like light uh, and sound show inside your brain. Yeah. Believe it or not, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk says that that works like neural feedback i know it sounds very like late 80s early 90s but or 50s yeah <laughs> let's just shock your brain okay well that definitely worked in changing your brain chemistry but yeah. no like uh the electrical and like the photon impulses into the brain they can be like a neurochemical heart reset right mm. they're like literally just like signals that force your brain into a reset 
and it can shape the brain to have a totally different configuration, therefore be open to new input. So, So neural feedback can actually help you be more receptive to therapeutic changes. That's fascinating. And I would imagine that it's best done under like a therapeutic uh, guidance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just putting on the funky LED goggles on a lazy boy in the mall is probably not going to do much of anything. That was such a 90s reference. (laughs) (laughs) Lazy boy and mall. (laughs) (laughs) Like any of those things still exist. (laughs) Uh, So, and something else that we're big proponents of are things like guided psychedelic therapy. So I understand that this is a legal gray area. Yes. But I can legally say this is the kind of thing I would condone 100%. Mm -hmm. And if it's done in a way that is licensed and legal and controlled and all of that with an actual professional. Licensed therapist. Right. Mm-hmm. That it should be legal mm-hmm. because psychedelics as a class of pharmaceuticals ended up just being on the wrong end of the political stick. It was like just 50, bad 60 years ago. Yeah. And it got maligned for political gains. Mm-hmm. And now there's like an entire half of the society that maligns it for their own political slash economic gain. And another half of the society that is forced to use it in uncontrolled and probably not as good for you ways. Right. And I can attest that from what I have read uh, regarding the guided sessions, that they are all about helping patients go into these traumatic experiences in a way that is safe, that is controlled, but it allows their brain to rewire itself. It helps introduce neuroplasticity and then more healthy patterns can be programmed, right? You're, you're essentially working to reprogram your thought process. Yeah, of course. And that's what psychedelics do. They, yeah. are, they open your brain up to reprogramming, to tabula rasa, which is one of the reasons, one of the huge reasons why you probably shouldn't be so willy-nilly about taking them. Because you know, they will imprint a whole bunch of stuff into your brain that is just random. And There's this argument that they're just drugs for party, 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 and quite honestly not, because psychedelic therapy is one of the oldest kind of therapies out there. Mm -hmm. I think of examples like the Native American church, Mm -hmm. you know, the peyote church of the United States. So you have the indigenous peoples of the United States, a large portion of them are part of this church that uses peyote, hikuri, the sacred cactus from the North Mexican deserts for very religiously based therapeutic uh, uh, rituals. They last all night. They're inside a teepee. There's prayer and song, prayer and song, prayer and song, prayer and song. You are in a reprogramming environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, along with a lot of these shamanic methods, of brain reprogramming thrown in all at the same time. Again, the drumming, you know, the sage being burnt, the the, the singing, the singing, the singing, all of these repetitive sonic driving things put you in a trance state. And then come the confessions, you know, and Mm. people just all of a sudden throw their arms up and they give it to the creator, you know, just like I have this thing messing up my life. I have this thing messing up my life. Please help me. Please get, you know, help me get rid of it. Boom, up into the air. It's an ecstatic ritual. It is an ecstatic ritual and it isn't the only one in the world. No, the Mongols not. have psychedelics. The South American tribes have psychedelics. Mm-hmm. You know, even the, the ancient Europeans had psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And so all of these are ways in which the established healer of the community could take you deeper into yourself and take out the crap, take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the way it's being done in the 21st century. Yeah. It has, you know, the United States or Western culture has been lacking this. For quite some time, which is why there is this pandemic of trauma and disconnection, disconnection, Mm -hmm. so many wars just because people are just like blindly not understanding their feelings, Mm -hmm. just kind of lashing out without understanding why and, and being able to dive into it. But again, I say, you know, the modern usage has to be legit. You know, it has to be psych guided, like with an actual like therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. not just tripping at a friend's house. And that mind you, okay, there's a lot of benefit to tripping at a friend's house and it's better than nothing. But 
Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. order to get the fullest effect, you have to have a professional because your friends aren't going to suddenly latch on to the thing that's giving you trauma、mm-hmm. and then spend the next eight hours working on that. Not if they're there to party too. No,、okay? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so speaking of, we ran into this guy at this roadside cafe thing. I think in Idaho or Oregon. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. And we just got into conversation. Really nice guy. And of course, then he happened to share with us that he was、uh, having、uh, mushroom therapy with these guided sessions with a therapist. I think in Oregon somewhere. And it was just fascinating because he would go to you know the therapist's、um, little office space、right. that had a water feature going through it. So then he would lay down, and after having this massive dose of mushrooms, and like for the first session, you know, he laid there for hours, and it was like he was going down the river of his life in his visions. Again, with the whole neurobiology being wired for allegory, huh? Oh yeah, fascinating. And and he was able to kind of go back through memories and and make connections with relatives who have passed. And so beautiful. I mean, yeah, I, I'm like this is exactly what people need access to. And not everyone's gonna want to do something like this, and it may not work for everyone. But just simply having availability to be able to dive in in such a Deep and safe way to break up so many years of traumatic scarring in our in our minds. Yeah, like that's just oh, like that's it's just it's so important. It's good shit, Maynard. It is. It's good shit. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the bottom line. Really, is that different people really do require different approaches,、mm-hmm. which is why we went down this list. You know, if you're working through trauma. You may find yourself drawn to one or more of these methods, depending on who you are. Everybody's different. You know, you might benefit from incorporating several of them, or、mm-hmm. you might benefit from just concentrating on one. Try shit out. It's your life. Absolutely. You know, and things can change. So, what worked for you two years ago may not work for you two years from now. You progress. So as you make progress, as you make gains in your mental healing and your emotional healing, you might actually end up needing a different thing, you know, like、yeah. switching sports because you've worked out these muscles, you know, that kind of thing. Or building a house, you know, you put down the foundation, and then you need different tools for when you frame it, and then different tools for when you put up the walls, right? Yeah, that's a great analogy too.、Thanks. So you move through these different phases of healing as you move through these different phases of your life.、Mm-hmm. But the main goal is to recognize. Recognize what you're struggling with, and accept that needing help from a professional, even, is nothing to be ashamed of. And you start finding ways to heal your wounds、mm-hmm. because it's something that you really owe the people you're in relationship with. I fully agree. And if you want your relationships to be happy and healthy and fulfilling, you can't keep carrying your trauma around because it's essentially this giant ugly third wheel that's going to keep bashing into the people that you love. Yeah. There's this concept called drama dumping, and you know、mm. that's a lot of like you hear like say for example a classic almost cliche example of a woman on a date with a guy, and a guy can't stop talking about his ex girlfriend. Right. Drama <laughs> dumping, baby. So you know that's, that's the kind of cool, thing. That's not cool, man. <laughs> yeah, totally right. So it's the kind of thing that you've got to work on healing yourself out of before you can even be in a relationship. But once you are in a relationship, you definitely owe it to that other person to not. Burden them with the pain that you learned from somewhere else. Yes, that's never good for the relationship. And that person can be very gracious and help you through it. And、mm-hmm. people do because、yeah. they love you. Yes, but you work it out inside yourself because you love them. You gotta do the work. You gotta heal those wounds. Uh, speaking of healing wounds,、mm-hmm. we had the pleasure of speaking with Mark Cunningham.、Uh, he's a military veteran and a therapist based in Fort Collins, Colorado. Great guy. Totally great guy. Definitely want to hang out with him in real life. Now we'll be sharing the full interview with you all later in the season, but we wanted to do a public service announcement in this episode because Mark is helping to promote a documentary called Love After War, produced and directed by sexologist Dr. Mitchell Tepper. 
Now, Love After War introduces the viewer to veterans and their partners who have had to fight the battle to save their relationships after suffering catastrophic injuries dealt in combat. It is heart-wrenching, it's candid, and inspiring. So we hope you get a chance to support the film. Here's a little clip from our interview in which Mark talks about his involvement with this documentary. I striving to inspire culture, social change, especially for veterans at this time, right? I mean, gosh, withdrawing from Afghanistan recently, I know that's brought up so much. Well, one way I'm doing that um, in my community is uh, supporting this new film called Love After War. I'm in, currently in sex therapy training right now, and I got connected maybe six months ago to this gentleman who's a sex educator, Dr. Mitchell Tepper. He sent me a private link and I watched the film and I was just so moved because he not only speaks to uh, what everyone is familiar with in terms of PTSD and limb loss and burns and like how these may impact a veteran's intimacy and sexuality, he also speaks to moral injury, which is more resonant with my experience. So moral injury or soul wound um, or cognitive dissonance is another way to understand it, of having a conflict either you saw or experienced or were connected to that conflicts with your values in some way. It's set to come out on Veterans Day this year on PBS. That's coming up on March 29th. So we're going to do an hour of the film and then an hour discussion with the audience. And so I intend on kind of speaking to my journey and how I feel that may have impacted my self-esteem in general and then how that shaped navigating relationships to help open up space for folks to share and explore. Yeah, we're going to have two show times, one at two and six, and um, it's sponsored and free. They've got a theater there, so they'll have a registration link here soon. Mark is hosting a special screening of this at the Colorado State University on March 29th, 2022. That's coming up. It's coming up. So if you're listening to the podcast right after it came out, that means you have two weeks to make plans. And if you aren't able to pop over to Fort Collins the day of, you can sign up to get notifications of screenings in your area or even sign up to host one yourself. The website for it is loveafterwar.org. And of course, we're leaving a link directly in the description. So please check it out and support this film any way you can. And thank you, Mark, for a wonderful chat. And we will definitely be airing that chat real soon. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that you can always reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howtoloveforever and on Instagram at howto, numeral two, love forever. We really want to hear your feedback and what you would like to hear us cover. So you can also reach out to us if you have a story to share and you would like to be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> we even have a private mode if you want to share your story but wish to remain anonymous. Private mode. We can do a Dear Abby style. Read your story or questions in the podcast without any true names revealed. You can email us directly at contact at howtoloveforever.com. Don't be shy. We don't bite without, without consent. consent. And if you feel that our show provides some value, is good for the world, or just plain entertaining, there are so many ways to show your support. Leave us a review and a positive comment on your podcast app of choice. That always helps the show grow. And please tell all your friends to listen in because, you know, we want to touch the world with, with consent. consent. Also, if you want to be our sugar daddy or sugar mama, because that kind of language is so appropriate, you can join our supporter community on Patreon. Patreon. Yes, we have a range of supporter levels to choose from, starting at just $3 a month. $3? That's less than the price of a first-class ticket to the Bermuda Triangle. So, what do you get? Well, you get early access, you get some extra content, behind-the-scenes looks at our process, you get full video versions of our interviews, and more. Ooh. You can check us out at patreon.com slash howtoloveforever. And next week, we get to flip the script a bit by discussing the key factor that allows us to endure the hardships life can bring, resilience. Resilience. It's bouncy. So bouncy. So bounce on back next week. Oh, that is so cheesy. I love that. You wrote <laughs> that, didn't you? Oh, you. my God. You cheese bucket. You are such a cheese bucket. Oh, okay. Hey, this was Heather's writing, not mine. Okay, resilience. It's bouncy. So bounce on back next week to learn all about it, comma, love bunnies. <laughs> And until then, remember, 
Love deep. Love hard. Love Love forever. forever. (laughs) You write dad jokes for me. What is that? Do do I look like I have high waisted, stone washed jeans from the nineties? No. Yes, you did. I could see the glint in your eye. My brain hurt. I'm gonna need therapy after that. Look perfect. Let's do it.